The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast. On CBS Sports, that's Tom Fernelli, that's Danny Cannell, that's Bud Elliott, I'm Chip Patterson, coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe, smash that like, come and join us in the chat. Very big show for you today because we are going to take a deeper dive into some of the biggest games that we have coming up this weekend. The regular season weekends less and less every single week that's the way time works and we need to know exactly what the stakes are what the matchups are going to be some of the storylines within these we are going to of course be giving you our best bets our leans our predictions on thursday show 11 a.m eastern time the best time of the week when we break down our locks now we're going a little bit more matchup focused also some very big recruiting news as we continue to count down the days until the early signing period. Some decommitments, some flips, some flops, lots of movement there. And as promised, your mailbag questions. If you would like to add a question to a future mailbag episode, then you can do that by leaving us a five-star review. And in that review, put your mailbag question. We'll add it to the big old bag of mail. Now, let's start with the the SEC on CBS game of the week because, Danny, you said that the dynasty is done. And we're looking at an Alabama team that needs to get up off the mat, that needs to find a way to throw a haymaker, and they go into Oxford to take on Ole Miss. They are double-digit favorites in the game. Ole Miss has had the week off to you know sort of get ready for this, try and heal themselves. A long stretch for the Rebels uh, before they finally got their break and their bye week. As you're looking at the matchup specifically, what do you think are some of the big keys to Alabama and Ole Miss? 
Um, first of all, I do think if Lane Kiffin is a big fan of the cover three pod, which he might may or may not be, he's probably like, this is just more goat fuel, right? That's what he's been calling all the critics of Alabama. I mean, he's been, and he almost feels it coming. And to be clear, like Alabama could win out and it's still not dynasty, right? I mean, that, that that's the point. Like, it's not like they're going to crumble. I'm not saying they're going to lose out and, you know, be playing in the music city bowl. They're going to be relevant in college football. But for this game specifically, you know what I would like to see? I'd like to see them get a little bit more involved with the run game offensively. And I would like to see their defense shut down the run. Like, let, let me see some physicality up front against this Ole Miss team, which wants to get Judkins going. And I'd also like to see Jameer Gibbs get a more consistent workload in this system, which I do think... It's a natural tendency to see evolve when you've got a quarterback like Bryce Young is just to consistently fall back on him. Like, hey, if I need a big play or if I need just it's natural to kind of go back to that. And I think they've gotten a little bit too pass happy and too Bryce Young reliant. And I think the weakness at receiver puts more pressure on Bryce Young to do that when maybe their best weapon is sitting there in the backfield. They kind of have to be Bryce Young reliant, though, because I we talked about this a little bit Saturday night and then on Monday too. Just the scheme stinks. Like they're not doing anything special. The, the wide receiver spot is not great talent wise. I'll give you that. Although I, I think Corey Brooks is pretty good, but it's just they don't do anything to stress defenses. Like we talked, I talked about the only th- big plays that they have are getting the ball in Jameer Gibbs's hands and letting him go be Jameer Gibbs. So to that point, maybe they should hand off to him a little bit more, but I feel like they, they view a lot of those short passes to be just handoffs. I think that's how they kind of view it. They're run plays, but they're with passes thrown. But every other big play is just Bryce Young scrambling around in the pocket as nothing comes open and then moving around and then somebody finally playing the fire drill and getting open and him finding him for a big play. That's their entire offense. But they're averaging almost six yards a carry, you know. It, but they're and they're just but getting away be, from it, you know. But but I don't think that's the other part too. Like I don't think their offensive line is all that good. I do think that again in this game they should be able to run the ball. I think I look at Ole Miss, I look at this matchup, and I feel like kind of like I talked about with Notre Dame a few weeks ago when they were playing Syracuse. Like if there's ever a time for I feel like they could just lean on the run and dominate somebody. I do think this is the week where they could do it, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see them try to emphasize it a bit more because this is a team that just doesn't like to run the ball. I don't know what it is, but they're not running the ball very often, which is so strange when you think about what Alabama kind of used to be. So to me, the the yards per carry stat here uh, is is lying to us, right? Bama, if you look at Connolly's stuff, they're third in the nation in rushing explosiveness, but they're in like the low 50s in rushing success rate. So when they do hit hit a big one, it goes really big. And I think the Arkansas game is sort of instructive for that, or like some of the long runs they had a, a, against the, the really bad teams that they've played. But they're not staying ahead of the chains when they do use the run game. They're really not very good by Bama standards at running the football. On the other hand, they don't hit home runs in the pass game, but they do stay ahead of the chains and move the chains with the pass game. I, I think it's a really fun question for this weekend, though, because Ole Miss's run defense is terrible. If Bama can't run the ball against Ole Miss, then they have much bigger problems than I think we even discussed on the Saturday Night React and, and, and the Monday upon further review shows. But like, I have other questions, too. Will Alabama play hard? It concerns me that Nick Saban is talking about 
These guys still have something to play for. They had their individual draft stock. Okay. Second question. They might play hard. Will they play together? Ole Miss is a team with Lane Kiffin's offense that can embarrass you if you don't play good team defense. Now, Ole Miss passing game this year is really kind of down. The receivers that they got are not special. The quarterback, I don't think they really have a, a home run in Jackson Dart, but they can run the ball pretty well. And Bama's run defense is not not that bad. So like if Bama plays together, they should be able to win this game comfortably. The other thing is, last year, Nick Saban finally said, I'm done with this Lane Kiffin stuff, right? We're just going to run the football. We're going to play extremely slow tempo. I mean, they, they, they played like a Minnesota-Iowa level of tempo last year, limit possessions, and it really frustrated Ole Miss. So I, I'm curious, like, do they still are they still able to do that on the road? Can they hold the football, just hog it, play an 11-possession game as opposed to like a 15-16 and, and just get out of there? Yeah, that was Lane Kiffin. Get your popcorn ready. He throws mm-hmm. the headset, and then it's twenty-eight nothing at halftime. Kiffin pulls the plug on, on on the popcorn maker. Yeah. I mean, he learned his lesson too because he's doing the exact opposite this year. He's almost like we have no chance. We have no chance. Saban's the best. Like, and I think that's the, the way uh, you have to approach it. He tweeted the lessons of leadership, yeah. the John yes. book, as yes. part of his preparation for the game. Yes. Um, yeah, it was it was strange to go back and and review the way that that first half played out because. Uh, the very first drive, if you'll remember, Alabama was moving the ball. A lot of it was, you know, through the run game to kind of get things going, loosening up that LSU defense. It ends in an interception. But then three and out, three and out, three and out, like drive that can't get it done when you get into scoring position, settle for a field goal. Like all of a sudden, everything started to sputter just a little bit. By the time Alabama came into the second half, that's when, like, to your point, Tom, they just got pass happy. They're like, all right, whatever. Nothing's working. Just uh, brace, go figure it out. And I, I don't know if that's going to work against this Ole Miss defense, which has been – look, you're right, bud. It, it is tailed off a little bit, and they are not overly impressive in terms of you know uh, height, weight, you know overall size and speed. But I did think at the beginning of this season, this was a group of transfers that was playing together, right? On they, defense they, for Ole Miss, you mean? Yes, at the yeah. beginning of the season. And I do attribute some of them tailing off maybe to fatigue and just getting so deep without getting a break. I don't know if we'll see that early. I don't know if we'll see that late. But for me, that's that's a big key is do we see an Ole Miss defense that got worse week after week after week heading into the bye with a little bit of a refresher? Do we see them come back and have a strong performance, especially with the extra week to scout? Is it possible they were always fraudulent in the run defensive category and that we just – like the, the opponents they played hid that fact? So like the Troy, schedule was soft. Yeah, I mean, Troy doesn't run the ball real well. Central Arkansas – Georgia Tech was a complete disaster on offense before they, they fired Collins. Tulsa, remember, Davis Brin got hurt pretty early in that ballgame, so they had to play the backup the whole time. Kentucky's offense is really kind of trash, and Vandy is, no disrespect, is Vandy, right? So Auburn ran all over them. LSU ran all over them. A&M ran all over them. I, I think like the three teams they've played with a pulse in a run game Ole Miss has been shredded, like non-competitive run defense. So I, I'm kind of wondering if we were just fooled because the schedule was so soft in terms of opposing offenses. Massive game out on the West Coast as Washington, which made its way into the committee's top 25, right there at number 25, will be taking on Oregon. Now, Oregon, according to not only the rankings themselves, but even some of the comments from the uh, committee chair, Boo Corrigan, afterwards in the teleconference, This committee seems to like this Ducks team a lot. And even though they got absolutely pasted by Georgia in the first game of the season, 
that that seems to be something that the committee is having an okay time getting over, especially the way that Oregon has been playing and the way that Oregon has been winning since then. So what, what do we know about this Washington team? Now, when, when they're not playing in torrential winds, the pass attack is going to be something that they're going to lean on a little bit. This is going to be Michael Penix trying to take advantage of the back half of Oregon's defense. But we also have... Bo Nix, as he just continues to be on a tear. Did you know that Bo Nix has more rushing touchdowns than Bijan Robinson right now? Yes. 13 rushing touchdowns, tied for fifth in the country among all players, two more than Bijan. Uh, he is also 14th in the country in passing touchdowns. Is As Bo Nix takes on this Washington team, which I think, you know, but do you think the Washington's defense has what it takes to go in and slow Bo Nix in this Oregon offense? No. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, neither of these teams are good defensively overall. Oregon can at least stop the run. Like, they're not great at it, but they're decent against the run. They're awful stopping the pass. Washington's terrible against everything. Like, you, if you want to run the ball all over Washington, you can run the ball over Washington. Which is weird. To, yeah. If you want to throw all over Washington, you can throw all over Washington. And that is the one thing going into this game. It's like, good offenses – bad defenses, but at least Oregon can do something defensively. But on the other side, Washington doesn't really try to run the ball anyway. Like, it's just mostly Michael Penix dropping back and running around and then firing a laser somewhere and hopefully he hits a target. I I could see Washington maybe giving them a game. I'm, I'm not necessarily predicting that, but if they do, and Tom's right, their defense is bad against both run and pass. It is a little bit better, or a little bit not quite as bad against the run. And if Oregon has a weakness offensively, and there aren't many, I do think it's it's obvious passing down situations. I don't really trust Bo Nix and these receivers in obvious passing downs. And Washington does have a good pass rush. One of the problems I have, though, is that Irving, the not the top corner, but the guy with the best numbers for them at corner so far this year, as far as like you know opposing QBR and stuff, he's done for the year. So Washington's secondary was already pretty sketch, as we saw <laughs> against UCLA, and now they have to go play Oregon at Oregon, that's that's pretty tough. I, I mean, what, what are the best passing attacks that, that Oregon's faced so far this year? I, I do think that secondary is sketch. It's UCLA. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which didn't a, finish, right? We it, always in a we down back to it. Right. Yeah. And Stetson Bennett. And yes. <laughs> Thank you. That's where I think that's where I think Washington can keep this game competitive. Is I do think Michael Penix should be comeback player of the year, whatever you want, whatever award you want to give him. I do think offensively they'll make this a game. You guys see the total? It's up in the 70s. Yeah, so I mean, it's. I think it'll be a higher scoring game. I think UCLA might be at 72. UNC Wake's at 77. I mean, there's some disgusting numbers on the board for this to be November and putting all these 70s on the board. See, the, the thing when I look at this matchup is, like, you, Bud, you mentioned it, like, you, can you trust Bo Nix not to make a mistake? And obviously I think Bo Nix needs to have a few turnovers for Washington to win this game. The problem is, can you trust Michael Penix not to make a mistake? No, so I feel so. It's like, I just, when I look at this, it's, I think Oregon's the better overall team. I, I, I don't trust them defensively, which is why if they get to the playoff, I cannot imagine this team beating anybody they'll face there. But I think they're, you know, if you look around the rest of the Pac-12, it's not like there's a lot of stalwart defenses that are in the conference that they need to kind of worry up as far as matchups are concerned. So I just, I think Oregon probably runs through this one. I don't think Washington's that good. It's interesting in the Pac-12 this year, 
a lot of times the Pac-12, there's this narrative, which I don't think is supported by like draft picks and facts, that the Pac-12 doesn't play defense. This year, the best Pac-12 teams definitely have some problematic defenses. Like Utah's mm-hmm. is nowhere near as good as it usually is. Mm-hmm. USC's is not good. And without a couple of guys they have out right now, it's kind of dreadful. Uh, Oregon's, hell, go back to the summer school series we did, right? Uh, the, the guys at Ducks 24-7 told us, if this team has a weakness, it's the secondary. It's very sketch. Michael Penix, uh, hoping to help keep Washington inside the committee's top 25 and uh, in hand Oregon their first conference loss. A reminder, Oregon, the only team in the Pac-12 with zero conference losses, currently sitting at 6-0, and USC at 6-1, and UCLA at 5-1, and Utah at 5-1, and Washington at 4-2. and Very much an outside shot, but a win against the Ducks would go a long way. Uh, we did spend a little bit of time uh, talking about TCU and Texas, that massive game in Austin. I will say that in terms of development, Tom, I know you mentioned the you know guessing that Quentin Johnston would probably play and that leaving with that ankle injury might have been a, a decision with this game in mind. He has not practiced according to reports, but based on everything I can tell, he is expected to go out there and give it a go with all the latest information. How, how are you seeing the keys to this game play out? I think that is the key. Um, but as far as how the game goes, I just, it, <laughs> I don't want to spoil anything for tomorrow's show, but I, we, we talked about it earlier in the week. Texas is favored by touchdown. Texas, first of all, should not be favored by touchdown in this game by my numbers. And I think TCU is going to win the game. I just don't trust Texas. I know that it's the the metrics all suggest that it's very good, but the metrics suggest a lot of teams are very good who then go on the field and screw things up. And we see Texas every single week. It has no idea how to finish games. It doesn't know how to put teams away when it gets leads. It nearly blew another 17-point lead against Kansas State this weekend. And TCU is a team that just when you look at what they've gone through, now obviously – Their resume gets weaker by the week when the teams that they've beaten so far keep losing and get knocked out of the rankings. But they've been through it. They've been in these games all season long. They know how to finish games. They know how to do it when you're stuck in a close game, how to hold on to a lead. They know how to come back when they're down. Texas really hasn't shown its ability to do that. It kind of just hangs on by its fingertips. And I just think that when they get into this spot, I'm not saying they can't beat them, but I think TCU was going to win this game more often than not. I think it is the better team. I think it has been the better team all season long. So for this matchup, they've got the experienced quarterback, the guy, like I said, who's been through it. We've seen Quinn Ewers at times. We all know how I feel about Quinn Ewers, but we've seen him look rattled too. He doesn't have that much experience in these moments. He gets shaky at times when the stakes get high, and that's part of the reason I think Texas has problems putting teams away. So when I look at the experience difference at quarterback, I look at just the resolve and the metal of the two teams overall. TCU is the better team to me in this matchup. I don't think there's anything specific that we need to look at for the matchup because defensively, Texas is going to score points. Bijan Robinson is it going to have a big game. Quinn Ewers will probably have a decent game. TCU is going to score points. If Quentin Johnston plays, he's going to have a big game. So this is going to come down to the fourth quarter. Who doesn't screw up? Texas is screwed up far too often for me to think it's not going to do it again. Do we agree Texas's ceiling is a good bit better than TCU's, but TCU's floor is probably better? Like the, yes. the way they play, I feel like, you know, mm-hmm. Texas – yeah, they, they kind of lay eggs. Although you could tell me, hey, like TCU laid a total egg against Kansas State when Kansas State had their quarterbacks in, and then they got hurt and got lucky. 
Bijan Robinson ran for 216 yards against this defense last year, carried the ball 35 times. Uh, Quinn Ewers, while again, a ceiling proposition is fantastic. I think the body of work as a whole is fine. You know, like this is, he's coming off a game where he was 18 for 31. We're 197 yards, 6.4 yards per attempt. Hasn't had more than seven yards per attempt in a single game since the 49 to nothing win against Oklahoma. Has totaled, of course, you know, all the interceptions were against Oklahoma State, but still seven touchdowns to three interceptions. Completion percentage since that Oklahoma game, 65% against Iowa State, 38% against Oklahoma State, 58% against Kansas State. If we're going to talk about the fingernail and, you know, was he hurt against Oklahoma State, that's fine. That was still a fairly average performance against Kansas state as well. I love what Danny said earlier in the week. Don't get too cute with this. You know, like B. John Robinson and like the rest of that running back room, like he, they, they've got three good running backs. You can give them the ball in space. You can hand the ball off to them. If Texas sticks to bre- its bread and butter, I, I think that that is where you see Texas be able to win this game. I think both of the run games. Kendra Miller might be an unsung guy too that isn't talked about enough as the running back for TCU. You know, it's funny because I said if Texas had kept running the ball, um, they would have blown out Kansas State last week. And then you look down, you're like, oh, well, and I meant, B- and I was like, give it to B. John Robinson more. I think he had 31 carries last week in 206, whatever it was, but then give it to Roshan Johnson. He's a pretty damn good <laughs> back too that a lot of schools would love to have. I do think that's where Texas could see an advantage where if they, try to physically impose their will. The other thing about TCU is they've had so many games that are one-possession games, and they've been phenomenal with them, as to Tom's point. Like, who do you trust more in this situation? I would trust them, but I also watch TCU. I'm like, one of these times they flirt with a fourth-quarter, you know, one-possession game, and it's going to come back to get them. You know, but I definitely trust them more than I trust Quinn Ewers, who hasn't been in many of these situations, and Texas hasn't thrived in those situations. Going back to the Texas Tech game. Uh, I just wanted to point out one thing. Uh, Joseph Hurley, he in the comments said that his issue with my CFP ranking critiques is that according to me, I, it's impossible for anybody to have a good resume. And then he says, like, how does TCU not have a good resume anymore? I think TCU has a great resume. I'm talking about from the college football playoff selection committee's perspective, where they talk about teams with top 25 wins. The teams that TCU has no longer has beaten are no longer in the top 25. So I'm questioning how the CFP will look at its resume. I think a lot of teams have great resumes. When I'm arguing that a team should be ranked higher than the other one, it's usually because I say they have a better resume. Right. And I, I think that the story from last night was, TCU got up to number four, but its resume had gotten worse. Mm -hmm. If your strength of schedule is being measured by the win-loss record of your opponents and your opponents lose, which happened to TCU's opponents, including some of the teams that were considered quality wins for the Horned Frogs, then yet the resume did slightly get worse. Ultimately, I think TCU having a zero in the loss column is the most important statistic for the Horned Frogs right now. And look, they've got to go and defend that... uh, this weekend in Austin. Okay, before we jump into the big old bag of mail, we are counting down the days until the early signing period, the early signing day, of which, as we have noted, over the last couple of years, we are continuing to see more and more of the top prospects in the entire country go ahead and shut down their commitment, go ahead and sign in December. And as we all continue to look 
at Texas A&M and everything that's happening. There was a major decommitment this week with five-star linebacker Anthony Hill, the number two linebacker in the 2023 class. But when when you see these decommitments at this stage in the process, number one, what are the Aggies' chances of being able to keep him on board? And, and number two, what does it mean for him and sort of his future? Who else is going to be in the running for uh, for his commitment? Yeah, so I, this is one that I think a lot of people throughout the country, not just the state of Texas, notice. And Anthony Hill is a really, really good good linebacker, man. Like that that guy can go. And ultimately, I just think that the kind of uneasiness, un, un, unsettled nature of what's going on at Texas A and M right now, uh, Chip. I don't know if you saw some of the reports that the uh, the flu stuff might extend uh, to this weekend, as far as the the after effects of that flu. You had. You kind of joked last week uh, the transfer portal flu. I, we kind of brushed that off, but now I'm curious if that's actually like legit, you know, uh, continuing effects there from that. Uh, our Steve Wilfonger, 24-7 Sports, has put in a crystal ball uh, for Hill to go to Texas. So wow. if you're an Aggies fan and Wilfong is like the dude out there, he doesn't doesn't miss much, uh, That that's a big-time win if they're able to, to get him with Steve Sarkeesian. And also to stay hot on the recruiting trail – Texas picked up another kid last night in, in Colton Vosick, the, the defensive end. His dad played at Texas. He was committed to Oklahoma. Texas. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, Texas really kind of rolling right now in recruiting. I, I think part of this is the arch effect, right? If if like Texas has had a three-loss season already, but if the number one recruit in the country, one of the highest-rated kids of all time, the literally the Manning name, if it's good enough for him, I think recruits are going to listen. And say, wait, okay, look, he sees something in this, even though the record is not not amazing right now. When Texas was off to a two and two start, the haters were out in these streets wondering loudly if Arch would decommit. Is there any chance that you see Arch doing any kind of stunner and backing off of his Longhorns commitment before putting pen to paper? Uh, it's recruiting, so I don't ever want to throw a zero on something, but I don't have any reason to believe that he would. And, and if I had to put like a percentage on it, it'd be like, you know, 1% type, type just scenarios that are not related to football and, and which I cannot see happening. Also, I think, too, just like with the amount of time that was put into that recruitment and the fact that he's a Manning, I don't think he's making that decision with any thoughts of like, well, if they have a bad season, I'm changing my mind. I don't think that's got anything to do with the choice. Yeah, it doesn't, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very much projecting right here, but it doesn't seem in line with the values of Koopa's boy. It doesn't seem like Koopa's boy will back no, off. No, but I day. think to, to your point, to everybody's point, like there are different situations you come from. I think the advice he's going to get from his family and extended family would be would have gone everything into the decision was this is the decision, it's final, we made it because of these reasons, nothing has changed here. Like if Sark got fired, then yeah, right. I would say it would open things back up, but that's not going to happen. So I think it's, I think it's done. Oh, one if more Sark thing. gets fired, does it become like like Peyton Manning, the Colts or Texas job? Is he like, you know, does he become the odds-on favorite for both? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, all right, one more game. I want to make sure we spotlight before we jump into the big old bag of mail. What are the chances that LSU riding high goes into Fayetteville against an Arkansas team that just lost to Liberty Biberty and gets taken down by Sam Pittman and the Yezzer Razorbacks? 
Or is the, I mean, this is an Arkansas team that is riddled with injuries. Like there is nothing sensible that says that Arkansas is going to be able to beat one of the hottest teams in the country, this LSU team that has turned a corner. Jaden Daniels, who in the last three games has found something special with this LSU offense, that great wide receiver room. They've all started to take off. Are they going to get cooled down? Is, is there any chance, what are the things that are that LSU needs to do to avoid an upset, or what are the things that Arkansas can do in its current form to pull off the upset? The number one thing this hinges on for me is how hurt is K.J. Jefferson? Because if you watch that game against Liberty, and I did not watch it live on Saturday, but I, I did watch it this week, I think, I think he's hurt more than they let on. I, I question how much he's practicing right now. But what I don't know is, like, were they just trying to hold him for this game because it's a big-time rivalry game, you know the, the, the big boot trophy and all that, and they just laid an egg against the Liberty team, which is a good team. But like we saw Arkansas do this against Missouri State, right? Petrino's team. They came out really flat against a non-SEC opponent in a, in a look-ahead type spot. So, how healthy is KJ Jefferson? Because if he's healthy, the like the line kind of implies that he's healthy here. By the way, like, like this line is is what three. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's short. I mean, preview for tomorrow. I, I think that's a short number. I, I do think LSU has improved, but LSU's run defense, you know, can be had a little bit. And can they focus? Right, like LSU's not immune to playing poorly on the road. It, look, look at the Auburn game. Uh it wasn't that long ago when the college football selection committee put LSU at ten, and everybody's like, "Huh, what?" This team that got blown out by Tennessee at home, I mean, it's still the same team, you know? And I get that a win over Bama is big, and it's big for that rivalry, but is it as big as we make it out to be? Like, I I, I think this game's going to be competitive, and I think K.J. Jefferson could present a lot of problems. You guys bring up the health concern. I think that, to me, is the biggest issue. But if K.J. Jefferson is close to healthy, I could present some very real problems. And then you throw in the mix – the hangover effect about everybody's telling you how good you are and if you win out, what happens if you win and you're two-loss SEC champion? No one is asking what happens if you lose. You know, I think it's – I think it's, and it's a hornet's nest you're going into because this is Arkansas season all of a sudden. Well, sorry, great Tom. No, go. Well, I, I guess one, one other thing here is in the preseason we talked about – and we got a lot of hate from this from Arkansas fans. And I'm not saying we were right, but we don't look wrong at least right now. We talked about the talent Arkansas lost off that team, but we also talked about the internal concerns we were hearing about the leaders they lost off that team. And now you have two more Arkansas kids go and get arrested over the weekend who aren't going to play this weekend. One of them is, you know, their their DB who's pretty decent. The other one I don't think plays all that much. But you know, where is Arkansas's headspace here? They like they're going to get to a bowl. Are they? I think so. Right? LSU, Ole Miss, Missouri. They should beat Missouri, I think. Should. But that's, I mean, I, I think that that's Where's like, the Ole Miss game? Uh, at home. They'll be, I mean, if they're only, if they're three to LSU, there's a decent chance they're, they're a pick them or favor against Ole Miss. I think they don't run the ball in that game. Yeah. Yeah. I think exactly. any team that is five and four with a sub 500 conference record going into the final three weeks of the season with availability and injury issues, I mean, bottom could fall out. In a sense, like this is a, a huge sort of like take the temperature. We are literally putting the meat thermometer into the hog to try and see is this is this hog done? Is this is this pig cooked? Or and his build is a culture guy, right? Like he's certainly not a scheme guy. 
So it will be very interesting to see how that culture looks this weekend. There is no logical, statistical, or football reason to think that Arkansas is going to win this game, especially if there's any question about K.J. Jefferson's health. If he's only 75%, that's not going to be nearly enough. I am convinced Arkansas is going to win this game. <laughs> yes! Love <laughs> uh, it. Coming up on the other side, a lot of talk about a two-loss team making the college football playoff. Now, you may have your stance on whether or not it could happen, but we do have an example of a two-loss team that came awfully close. So, how does 22 LSU compared to 2016 Penn State, plus it's the college football playoff in the mix for Drake May, Danny's boy in the North Carolina Tar Heels. We'll get into that and more next. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. One of the things that we love the most about the Cover 3 podcast is the community and the way that we can all interact with each other, the way that we motivate and challenge each other. And when we're talking about Peloton, it's not just about bikes and treadmills. It is about that community. It's about the people that you're riding with. It's about those instructors that are ready to motivate you 24-7 because there's literally thousands of classes. And it's it's not even just the bikes. I mean, you could do strength training. You could do yoga. You could do running. You could do boxing. It is the perfect non-judgmental space for you to experiment with new types of movement at a level and a pace that feels good for you. The music can get you fired up. It is absolutely iconic. Are you in the mood to blast some 90s hip-hop? There's a class for that. Do you need some power ballads to really work those emotions out as you are getting over a bad day at work? Well, there is a class for that. If you need a Pride Month playlist, they'll get your blood pumping. There's a class for that. Whatever you're into, Peloton has the music that will get you moving. Tom, Danny, uh, what's, what's been on the rotation for you so far on the, in the Peloton community? Uh, you know, I haven't really broken out of my usual routine. Uh, you, just yesterday, I did a nice 30-minute Power Zone ride with Christine, which was an 80s music theme, so I felt like I was riding through some John Hughes movies for a while there, but it was a good time. Had a very, It was a good workout, more importantly to me. Got a nice sweat built up, and just, yeah, I, I absolutely love being on the Peloton. I'm on there nearly every single day, and you mentioned the community, Chip. A lot of our listeners follow me on the Peloton as well, so if, if you don't believe me, you can go double-check my workout list. And trust me, if Tom beats you, he will love to grab a uh, screenshot of it and mm -hmm. will text it to you or put it on social media <laughs> just to remind you of it. But that's one of the things that makes Peloton special is the competitive vibes that get going. If you like that type of thing or if you just like the encouragement, I get high fives all the time from people riding alongside. It's outstanding. Halloween was a big costume week, so you had a lot of fun in that one. It just makes working out that much more exciting. 
Yeah, we've uh, we've even got a suggestion from the live audience right now that we have a Peloton class with college football fight songs as music, and uh, I will be the hype man for that. And Kendall, look- Kendall, she'll do it because she's mm-hmm. a former uh, USC cheerleader. She'll, that's actually a great idea. A college football fight song one would be great. Call me Peloton. We can make this happen. Listen, Peloton is motivation that moves you anytime, anywhere. Do you have a busy schedule or a schedule that's not in line or the same thing every day? That's where Peloton is absolutely perfect for you. So try the Peloton bike or tread risk-free for 30 days. There you go. You can do it risk-free for 30 days. Learn more at OnePeloton.com. That is O-N-E. Peloton, P-E-L-O-T-O-N.com. New members only. Terms apply. All right, time to dive into the big old bag of mail. This first question comes from the Coast Guard Bears. All right, I'm telling you, man, we got we got Coast Guard, we got Air Force, <laughs> we got we got people, uh, you know, we got people out here representing for the Cover Three podcast. Now, a lot of talk of LSU being a two loss play playoff team. I, in last shows, I remember you were discussing the best two-loss team to not make the playoff, and I believe the conclusion was 2016 Penn State. How would you compare that team to 22 LSU? They had big-time home win, 2016 Ohio State 20, for Penn State. In 2022, LSU has Alabama, but then they had a loss to a quality out-of-conference opponent. In 2016, that was Pitt for Penn State. In 2022, that was Florida State for LSU and a blowout loss to a top conference opponent, Penn State, of course, falling to Michigan by a lopsided score, LSU falling to Tennessee. Is 2022 LSU really better than 2016 Penn State, or is it a brand-name conference presence at play? Thanks, guys. Love the pot as always, and thanks for the Vandy over. Never had a doubt. By October. (laughs) Yeah, over by October, as we told you. So what do we think? Thank goodness. (laughs) (laughs) wow i mean i'm not laughing that's somebody else laughing (laughs) yeah i mean that was for those who don't remember saquon barkley was a monster that year that was joe moorhead as offensive coordinator um joe brady as a wide receivers coach on that Mm -hmm. staff penn state absolutely had it cooking uh that season so as we look at it compared to the 2022 LSU, I think you can attack this either as compare the teams or you can sort of attack their arguments as, you know, one of the best teams in the country. I, I think right now that Penn state team was better. If LSU actually finishes the season with two losses, I think it's somewhat clear that LSU, you know, is, is better than that Penn State team was just by the, the number of teams that it would have had to beat. Like we may not think a whole lot of Arkansas, but it's hard to argue within the range of like acceptable power numbers. Arkansas is probably somewhere between like 20 and 45. That if they go and get that win, it's still a nice road win. And then they'd also have to beat Georgia, which is going to be difficult. You know, like they're probably a four to one underdog in that game. They'll they'll be double digits in Atlanta, I would I would think. So if they go do that and having beat Alabama, right, I, I think the answer is LSU. Was that Penn State team the best two-loss team not to make it, or was it just the most deserving two-loss team not to make it? Like, I think there were probably some USC teams going back that had two losses that were probably like 
rated higher. The three-loss team with Sam Darnold at USC yeah. might have been rated higher. I remember I was on the show at ESPN, and I was pounding the table for Penn State. That drove me insane um, because they chose Ohio State, who Penn State had beaten in the regular season, and then it was, well, they have two losses. But how many times throughout the year do we see teams with more losses put ahead of the other? Like, that's not supposed to matter. I thought we valued what we saw on the field. And I think Penn State had a stronger case to make the playoff that year because they did beat Ohio State. I think LSU's loss to Tennessee kind of do agree with Reese Davis, what he was saying, like it's going to box out um, LSU potentially. How do you overcome that? How do you explain that away? You can't. That was an ugly loss at home. I don't know. I I think they're shut out, but nothing would surprise me when it comes to the SEC. I was pretty clear in my thoughts. And as far as who the best team is between this LSU and Penn State, if LSU wins out and has two losses, I would say that it was a better team than 2016 Penn State. It's not going to the playoff. So it's a it's it's Be- not. beating Georgia, like because that's the thing is Penn State played Wisconsin in that Big Ten championship game, but that was a Wisconsin team that was 10 and 2 and ranked higher than Penn State in the rankings. They were ranked number six in the country. That was a mm-hmm. very good Wisconsin team quality win there at the end of the season still not what beating georgia would be for lsu should lsu be able to go and beat georgia right Mm -hmm. in terms of overall like team and the way that these teams like stack up against each other i i do think that they'll like i don't know i i would take i would take i would say coaching staff advantage penn state for oh also uh Tim Banks, now the Tennessee defensive coordinator, was on that staff. Charles Huff, now the Marshall head coach, is on that staff. Ricky Ronnie, now the uh, now Old the OD, yeah. ODU head coach, was on that staff. Josh Gaddis, are we penalizing him for that, or where are we at? Uh, you know, Josh Gaddis, who is an offensive coordinator at a Power Five job, was on that staff. Already mentioned Joe Brady. I would say coaching staff advantage Penn State. I would say that like superstar player Saquon over Jaden Daniels. And like overall talent, maybe Penn State over LSU. Like if we were, if they were to be like power rated in a vacuum, would the Nittany Lions be favored? Yes, yes. Today they definitely would. Um, but if LSU runs the table, we're going no. to feel differently about mm-hmm. this LSU team. Like they're going to show means- a different level. Yeah, Jaden Daniels will have kind of ascended to some sort of unknown, unbelievable level. Chris Godwin was pretty cool. Chris Godwin's on that team. Mike Gusecki was on that team. Very good team. And boy, underselling Trace McSorley right here. Knocking it out. Moxie McSorley. McSorley. (laughs) Long time listener. Remember his celebration? He was knocking it out of the park. Pretty cool is to see that team in the playoff. (laughs) Right? Like let let them let them prove it. No, they had a chance to prove it during the regular season, and they lost those games. No, no so I mean, because here the conference if, champion with Ohio the head-to-head win doesn't go. I, I, but I'm saying it's just, you know. Oh, I thought you meant LSU this year. Never no, mind. I meant, yeah. I meant Penn State. Yeah. Oh no, Penn State should have been in the playoff that season. But Penn yeah. State not being in the playoff that season is why I don't think LSU has a shot to be in the playoff this season. Because why didn't Penn State get in? Had two losses. Well, LSU's odds are weird right now. By the way, like if if you just kind of put a parlay like we all agree LSU has to win out to get in every game. So if you just put a parlay of like what those odds are going to be, it's much better 
or like much higher odds than what are offered at the books. So public service announcement, don't bet LSU to make the playoff. If you think they're gonna make the playoff, just money line parlay them and roll it every single game. Like like the, these odds don't make any sense. You're getting also, like plus 400. If LSU does win out and get put in the playoff, you better put Alabama in it too if it still only has two losses because, hey, those losses were to two good teams. So we could just do a playoff of Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama, and LSU because we didn't get a chance to see those guys play during the regular season, so we got to see them in the playoff. Remember when we were talking in the offseason about how the SEC was going to break away and have its own playoff? They're trying. They're trying, (laughs) but they're not trying to break away. They're trying to do it from the inside. All right, next question. Uh, great content as always. Question heading into the final month of the season. What are your teams to fade? Parentheses. Maybe they quit on the team or have been, or quit or the team has been overhauled and teams that you think may close well or overperform their number based on what we've seen. Hmm. Oh, I can, so right now, I think that you can start to look at Nebraska. I think you can start to look at Arizona State. You can start to look at these places where the coaching change has already happened. And some of these at Auburn also. And you can look at the numbers and ask yourself, do they want a bowl game? Because some of these teams are not officially ineligible for a bowl game. They haven't picked up that seventh loss yet. Colorado, congratulations. You can start making your holiday plans. That's already been locked. But when you look at the others, um, you know, again, not to – I actually haven't decided if these are going to make their way onto the final locks card, but I am taking that into consideration, at least in terms of looking at how to pick some of these teams down the stretch where some teams are going to be uniquely motivated to try and make a bowl game and do the rosters and the players or shoot, even the coaches uh, want to be totally on board for a bowl game at some of these places where coaching change has already happened. It's sort of like the, when you try to pick bowl games, who really wants to be there? That's what we're trying to do now. We're just doing it three weeks earlier before the start of this. Like, who really wants to be there? I mean, Texas A&M with the flu bug that's come up, you know, the transfer portal bug, whatever you want to call it, you have to significantly wonder where their head is. I thought Bud brought up an interesting one. We'll find out this week for Alabama. Like, where's their head at? Are they still 100% invested? I think they are because I think you can paint a path for them to get back. Like, hey, we could still win the SEC championship. You know, like, I know it's out of their hands, but you still dangle that carrot. But do the players buy in? I think it's very – it's a, it's absolutely worth the question. So an angle I look at, and I don't bet blindly, but an angle I look at is which teams lost their seventh game of the year the week prior, which officially puts the nail in the coffin for making the playoff, right? Boston College – or no, not, not the playoff, excuse me, the bowl. Thanks, Tom. Boston College, the Hokies – Northern Illinois, Colorado State, and New Mexico all picked up loss number seven this weekend. So, but I think you need to dig deeper and be like, okay, which of these teams actually had a like had a real feeling they could make a bowl, right? So, it's more like which team lost this weekend, and the prior weekend was the weekend like they needed to have to make a bowl. Like I would put South Carolina in that category if they had lost to Vanderbilt. Like if they lost to Vandy, I was going to fade the hell out of them going to the swamp. Because like that's a that's a quit factor type thing for a team that had, I think they're totally unjustified expectations, but they're actual expectations. But now, like they made a bowl, I don't think it's that big of a letdown spot. It's like we can build upon this, right? We can go out and we can get we can get one. Um, 
Teams that lost their sixth game this weekend that you might want to look into, just as a suggestion here, Navy, Tulsa, Virginia, Nebraska, Indiana, Old Dominion, Texas State, West Virginia, UTEP, Kent State, Western Michigan, Arizona State, and Arizona, Cal, Stanford, Auburn, A&M, and Vanderbilt all got number six this weekend. So the thing is, you can still go to a bowl if you got number six. But of those teams, which of those teams had a had a, a chance – you know what I'm saying? Like, like there was that was the game they had to have. And if they lost it, they know they're big dogs in the future games, and it's just blowout city. Any teams that it's time to buy in on that you think is going to close strong? Iowa and Wisconsin. I think they already are. Is that the terrified Illinois fan in you? No. Uh, the Illinois already played both of them. I, I think that just the last few weeks, I think since making the coaching change, Wisconsin's just kind of been revitalized. They're playing better. They're looking more like Wisconsin. And I think Iowa the last couple of weeks has started to look a little bit better offensively, which is, you know, some of it's part of who they've played. But, like, Purdue's a good team, and they just went and smothered Purdue, which is not something they had done to anybody all year, and it's kind of what you've seen them do in recent seasons. So I'm not sure what's happened, but it's a team that, as far as betting the spread, I'm looking at Iowa and Wisconsin as two underrated teams in the market going forward. And also, as far as betting the spread, as far as teams I'm fading, like if if talking fading, who I think is going to completely fall off the map, I don't know. But talking fading is for betting USC because they are being overrated by the CFP and therefore they are being overrated by the market and they are being way too big of a favorite against a lot of teams considering how awful their defense is. UNLV for me, um, they will have a chance to make a bowl if they close with two wins and they have Fresno, Hawaii, and Nevada left. That's a team with motivation. That's a team that power ratings wise is probably too low. If you're not adding back in some points for when they didn't have their top two receivers and their quarterback and their running back, uh, UNLV will have a shot to make a bowl. One last one before we get out of here. Uh, love the show. If UNC wins out and beats an undefeated Clemson, do they make the playoff? Oh, I guess, <clears throat> excuse me. No longer undefeated. No longer undefeated. <laughs> but let's just say, let's say Clemson is still, still one loss, that it's a, a matchup of one loss teams in Charlotte. UNC beats Clemson. Uh, do they make the college football playoff? And does Drake May being a Heisman candidate actually help their chances? I don't think there's enough context in this scenario to know for sure, but a one-loss ACC champion, as long as Clemson doesn't lose another game before the ACC championship, yeah, they should crack the top four. But if TCU's undefeated, Ohio State's undefeated, Georgia's undefeated, and Oregon's a one-loss Pac-12 champ or USC's a one-loss Pac-12 champ, there's no guarantee that North Carolina's going to crack that four because as we see where the committee looks at them now, they clearly don't think they're very good, even though they basically have the same damn resume USC has. Who are their wins if they do that? Because NC State would be unranked. Wake would be unranked. Pitt well, is still unranked. Right, yeah. So, like, I think they have a NC problem State here. might be still NC ranked. State, if, yeah. yeah, if that's only their third loss. If they have two losses going into the final week of the regular season, I mean, they're heavily favored against Boston College. If if they are a nine and two team and they fall to nine and three because they lose to North Carolina, then I, I I think that NC State could end up in the top twenty five. Certainly possible. Kind of depends on, on you know what Louisville and, and FSU. Notre Dame to do. all comes back to Notre Dame. They need Notre Dame to win out because it helps them against if they're compared against USC. They're a three and a half point dog this week against Wake. I mean that the chances of them running the table I think are very long for that to actually happen. 
But hey, Boo Cor- uh, Corrigan gave us the the explanation for how you can make the case. They have Drake May. I mean, isn't that how he justified USC mm-hmm. being so far ahead of the uh, other teams yes. in the Pac-12? Yeah. They, oh. look, listen, if they lose to Wake Forest this weekend, as long as it's an emotional game, they're going to be fine. Listen, I <laughs> you guys take, taking the committee explanation seriously. Like they don't just make it up week to week. Oh, um, not taking they it seriously. Totally do. So. <laughs> Danny, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I was actually just searching through the uh, the transcript because I wanted to pull it up because the explanation for the USC-UCLA disparity is, well, you know, Caleb Williams has 28 touchdown passes. <laughs> They're scoring 41 points a game. UCLA's only, UCLA only scoring 40.8. It was an emotional game. Um, yeah, just... Wow, just just fantastic stuff right there. That was uh, I have no answer. I'm just going to start reading off numbers as they roll into my. But head. now that he's used it, I'm going to. And you now mm-hmm. you can know you can refer player yes. stats like, hey, they got that, look at May. The, you look at the emotion of that game. They had just had like the emotion control was one of the highest emotion controls that we've been able to rate so far this season. <laughs> So in that sense, that's why I thought it was an interesting addition to the question. Does Drake May being a Heisman candidate help North Carolina's chances? Apparently. Yeah, apparently. apparently, If you have a star quarterback who's lighting it up and putting up some of the best statistics in the country, then it's like, well, I mean, listen, got to have him in the playoff. You know, I know that they don't have a lot of ranked wins, but they got Drake May. Clearly, instead of sending writers with Heisman votes like cool bobbleheads and stuff, they need to send the selection committee stuff. Like, send the selection committee a Drake May bobblehead. See if they'll bump you up in the rankings next week. Drake May is one of the best quarterbacks in the country. I think that's unarguable. No one would not want to see playoff. What? Like, who, who would not want to see that? I know we, we I, I kind of got a little argument on Twitter this morning about playoff expansion. And I welcome you guys to, to watching the show if we're doing good live viewer numbers. I hope some of y'all joined. Like, think about how much better some of this November would be if some of these elite quarterbacks were still in the playoff race. Right. I mean, do you want to see Quinn Ewers in the playoff? I'd watch that game. What about Drake May? Like that altogether makes a semifinal interesting. If I get to see a guy who we all think, you know, has number one pick potential. It There's a lot of so these games that would have more even juice if, this weekend. So you're saying because that that game has juice regardless. But if North Carolina lost, the rest of their games would still have juice. I don't think a lot of people think that North Carolina has a real shot right. to go if they run the table. And right. I don't think the Vegas odds say they do either. Like you can bet on right now who to go to the playoff. Like TCU or Texas, excuse me, I'll get it right here. Tennessee, that, that's the third T, is like an overwhelming number three right now. Like it, 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 if you look at FanDuel, they're minus 250 to make the playoff, which is kind of crazy, but still. Uh, I think that game has more juice because it's like if you know that the ACC champion is going right now, they'll probably right. have to go play a road game. It has not been a very good conference this year. If you know that that Texas, which lost Quinn Ewers against Alabama, right? This is a, something we saw with USC before. Look at 2007 when they lost John David Booty. They lost two games. When he came back, they were probably just as good as anybody that that season. So I, I feel like that'd be pretty fun to have. Okay, but we could talk about games that would matter in expanded playoff. Let's talk about games that wouldn't have mattered. LSU's win over Alabama wouldn't have mattered with a 12 team playoff. No, because Alabama would still be alive for a playoff berth. And LSU would have a more a, like a kind of a realistic shot to go to the playoff if they win the SEC, whereas you don't think they have one right now so at all. LSU's loss to Tennessee wouldn't have mattered. Tennessee's win over Alabama wouldn't have mattered. Because you know again, what game would have mattered more? Tennessee, Georgia. How? Because it would be for a bye week or for seeding as opposed to now, where apparently it didn't mean a damn thing. They're they're both they're right. both look like locks by the odds. So, 
the game that was the most important game of the weekend would have mattered more in a 12-team playoff than it did in a four? That's your yeah, argument? Yeah, exactly. Because they both have a very good shot of still being in. The loser's not penalized at all right now, apparently. Yeah, that's, that's that's what I think is the better point for the old regular season. It matters so much now. Yeah, that it matters so much matter. that they're both still like heavy, heavy favorites That to loss go. didn't count at all. Real meaningful. But does LSU go for two if there's a 12-team playoff? I think so. It ha- like their LSU's not getting in if it loses that game, Tom. Alabama's getting in if it loses that game. That's yes, the point. LSU's that is, not. That's the thing. We talk about all these games will matter. The expanded playoff only gives teams like Alabama more margin for error. They can lose three games and still get in. Great. The regular sure. season won't matter at all for those teams. You know what matters for? All of these podcasts and all these other fan bases that I manage that they're going to have their worst three weeks of the year in the next three weeks because ESPN tells them that you're not part of the who's in campaign for the four and that your conference championships don't matter. Who cares? Right? I care about the health of the sport. I want like I want to work like 10, 15 more years. You know, and we see a lot of these fan bases you check out for the whole month of November. The sport's existed for a century. We'll be fine with it right. with a 14 playoff. Like again, it like gets you, more and more regional over the last decade, man, with this with this 14 playoff stuff. Again, 14 playoff, 12 team playoff. This weekend's Illinois game versus Purdue means a whole hell of a lot to me without the playoff even being part of the consideration. It's for the West Division. It's for a possible Big Ten title. I don't give a damn about a playoff spot right now. I don't think most fans really do because, great, we get to go to the playoff and get our skull caved in by Georgia. Good yeah, for but us. You work, Why do you, you surrender work in the that, game? though? Yeah, I, like, I hate when you surrender these that. These fans believe in themselves beat. a ton. Like, Tom's not normal in this, man. I'm telling you, these fans, like, they convince themselves. Look at, like, society as a whole. People convince themselves of stuff let's that's take like, a poll. not true. Let's, let's get a Gallup poll of fans that aren't Georgia fans and ask them how many of them think their team can beat Georgia. How many of how them many, think their team can win a national championship? It shouldn't matter, though. Why does that matter? How many Northwestern fans thought Ohio, they'd beat Ohio State? None. None, and they, and they did. didn't. But the, and but, they didn't. But that was a competitive game. Like you, they needed forty mile power wins and a downpour to even have a chance. <laughs> what and about they Missouri? Didn't. What about Missouri playing Georgia? Who everyone that they was a twenty eight point man, favorite. They lost. But it was they a competitive game. Why do we just they say they got oh, the hell beat <laughs> out of them? They lost. <laughs> they did not get the hell beat out Tennessee of them. To be fans clear, thought they were going to beat Georgia too, <laughs> and they didn't. Oh, you got to let them play it on the field. You can't we assume do. teams are Every dominant. Every weekend, we let them play on the field. No, then Every we assume, single weekend. We assume we think we know who the four best teams are when we don't truly know. Do you know. understand that in a four-team playoff right now, there is a very good chance that the final four teams will be Georgia, Ohio State, Oregon, and Tennessee. So Georgia will have to play a playoff against teams that already beat decidedly. And that's what we want to expand the playoff for. So we can get more rematches against teams that got the shit beat out of them by the actual team that can win the national title. I don't think anybody arguing for the expansion of the playoff is arguing that that it's going to produce different champions, Tom. I think they're arguing that it's going to make the sport better for November, which we have a November problem in this sport. Look at the television ratings, bud. Go through November's ratings the last 10 years. Tell me when they're getting worse. They're getting worse in all these other leagues, Tom. How about you look at the Central and West Coast time zones, man? I'd like to see the numbers, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll send them to you. Cool, please do. We will be back Thursday, I 11 p.m. Eastern I'm time. Sorry, I'm yelling. That was good. <laughs> Are we out? Yeah, that was good. With our locks, you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernell. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow him at Bud Elliott Three. You can follow me at Chip Underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs>